The scripture reading for this morning is from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. Please stand for the reading of God's word. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we're uh, continuing our series this morning in the life of Abraham, and we've come to one of the most well-known stories in all the Bible, God's command to Abraham to sacrifice the very child that God had promised him. And I mean, just pause and think for a moment about everything Abraham has been through up to this point. It all started when God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 to leave his country, to leave his kindred, to leave his father's house and go to the land that God would show him. And God had made Abraham a promise that he would make Abraham into a great nation and all the nations of the earth would be blessed 
through him. That's where things started in Genesis chapter 12. And, and right off the bat, we were introduced to a problem. Abraham was childless. Sarah, Abraham's wife, was barren. We saw that in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30. So how will Abraham become a great nation when he didn't even have a child? In Genesis 13, God reiterated his promise to Abraham. He said to Abraham that he would make his offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, so too one could count Abraham's offspring. I'd imagine that. You know, today would be a good beach day, right? Let's say you go up to Lake Ontario, you grab a, a handful of, of sand from the shore. Sand, you know, those granules are not as fine even as dust particles. But just imagine that with me. You grab some sand and you, you set it out maybe on your towel and you start to try to count the grains. You know, you get to 6,000 and you're like, oh, was that 6,000 or 6,001? I don't know. Shake it all off, Carl. Right? That, God is saying, so too, Abraham, shall your offspring be. Even if someone could number all the dust particles of the earth, so too, one would be able to number your offspring. That was Genesis 13. Then in Genesis 15, God told a still childless Abraham that his offspring would number as the stars in the sky. Now imagine being out in the desert and, you know, all the light pollution is gone and it's nighttime and you're trying to count the stars and you lose count. <laughs> and then God is saying to Abraham, so too, Abraham, shall your offspring be. It's a tremendous promise, but still, at this point, no fulfillment. And Abraham was starting to get old. When he was 86, Sarah, his wife, came to him and said, take my maidservant, Hagar, and conceive a child with her. And, and he did. And she bore him Ishmael. But then 13 years after that, when he was 99 years old, God came to Abraham and said, that's not the child. That's not the child that I have promised you. You will actually have a child with Sarah. 90-year-old Sarah, still barren Sarah, will bear you a son. Ishmael was sent away, and then one year later, Sarah bore Isaac. The long-awaited child of promise had arrived, and they all lived happily ever after. Not exactly. Because God comes to Abraham in our passage this morning and says, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, your only son Isaac, the son whom you love, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And you can imagine the turmoil that was going on inside Abraham. Kill Isaac? <laughs> How will the promise be fulfilled without Isaac? This just doesn't make any sense, God. And, and there's the test. Will Abraham obey God even when it just doesn't make any sense? And, and that's really the question for us. Will we obey God even when it just doesn't make any sense? That's the question we're going to try to answer this morning. We're going to do that, I pray, under the following three headings. First, the test. Second, the journey. And then third, the missing lamb. The test, the journey, and the missing lamb. But first, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we do pray that you would help us. We pray, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to see this text. Lord, help us to see Abraham and be thankful for his example. But Lord, help us to see past Abraham. Help us to see you. You are the hero of this text, just like you are the hero of every story of the Bible. Lord, help us to see what we are meant to see concerning you and your son, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So God was testing Abraham's devotion. That's what we see in verse 12. We can just cut right to the chase. Verse 12, God says, now this is the angel But again, the angel of the Lord and the Lord himself are often indistinguishable in the Old Testament. And we can get that even as we read this verse. Verse 12, the angel said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham, now I know. Now I know that you fear me. Now remember our study of the fear of the Lord from a couple weeks ago, right? The fear of the Lord is not a dread for a Christian. The fear of the Lord is not a dread that causes you to fall away from him. It is a devotion that enables you to draw near to him, near to him in reverence, near to him recognizing this is the God of the world after all. That great story uh, by C.S. Lewis, the children's story, the Chronicles of Narnia, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when Lucy is talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and they're talking about Aslan, the Christ figure, and Lucy says concerning, it might be Susan. Is this Susan or Lucy? It's Lucy. You know that in a Presbyterian church, there's going to be people that are very familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia. Anyway, so Lucy says to Mr. Beaver concerning Aslan, is he safe? And, And Mr. Beaver, of course, says, safe. Of course he's not safe, but he's good. The proper fear of the Lord is the fear that by God's grace enables you to see that this God is not safe, but he's good. We're drawn to him in devotion. We fall down before him in worship, not shrink away from him in dread or in fear. And what God is saying here to Abraham, Abraham, now I know that you think of me in that way. That's the test. God's testing Abraham's devotion. What an agonizing test this must have been for Abraham. Now, we know things that Abraham didn't know at the time that God gave him this test. We know that centuries later, God will say on Mount Sinai to Moses as he gave him the Ten Commandments, the Sixth Commandment, which is, thou shall not murder. We know that. Abraham didn't have that at that point. We know that when God settled his people in Canaan, this very land that Abraham was in, after they had had their time in Egypt in slavery, after the time of the Exodus and the wandering in the wilderness, after God brought them back into this land, he said to them, do not adopt the practice of the Canaanites with their child sacrifice. I abhor child sacrifice. We know that that's who God is, and we know the end of the story, right? We know it was never about Abraham slaughtering Isaac. We know that it was a test, but Abraham didn't know that. What did Abraham know? Abraham knew that sacrifices were required for 
atoning for sin. In fact, the whole burnt offering is, as far as we can tell, the only offering that was known in the time of the patriarchs. Job was a contemporary of Abraham. In Job chapter 1, verse 5, we read that after, Abra after Job's sons and daughters would be off partying, <laughs> Abraham, or, I'm sorry, Job in the morning would offer a burnt sacrifice to atone for the sins of his children, unless they sinned while well, they were off doing their thing. So that's, that's what's happening here. Abraham knew that this was a sacrifice that had to be made to atone for sin. He, we know that Abraham knew this because he was already worshiping and offering sacrifices. He would go from place to place and he would build an altar. He wouldn't just lay his hopes and dreams on the altar. That's what I did, by the way. When I was in Montana, when I was trying to figure out what God was calling me to do, Wendy and I, and we had two children at the time, lots of rocks in Montana. I would climb up the hills and I would build an altar and I would lay my hopes and dreams on the altar before the Lord. Abraham was not laying hopes and dreams on the altar before the Lord. He was laying an animal and sacrificing it to make atonement for sin. That's what Abraham Knew. And the question that needed to be answered was simply this. Would Abraham obey God simply because God is God? Or would Abraham only be one seen to obey God because of the blessings that God gives? That's the test. That's the question that was brought to the table, that was called, if you will, when the command was given to Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. What do we learn from this test? I think it's important to keep in mind that the Lord tests those upon whom his favor already rests. This was not God testing Abraham to see if Abraham would be worthy of his love, to see if Abraham would be worthy of his affection. Abraham, will you prove to me that you're worth saving? That's not what's happening here. God had already set his affection on Abraham. God had already called him. He had already made promises to him. He had already bound himself to Abraham in covenant. This is the one whom God was testing. And it's the same way for Christians today as well. The Apostle Paul knew this. He tells us this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says to Christians, he says to us, we rejoice in God's salvation. We're guarded by his power, but our faith is being tested like gold in a refiner's fire. And then he goes on in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 to say, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though, as though something strange were happening to you. The Lord tests those upon whom he has set his affection. But his tests have a purpose, to test our devotion to him. And in the process, what he's doing is exposing in our hearts, the, I'm going to say the dreams that define us, the, the things that we're perhaps really living for, that serve as substitutes when it comes to being devoted to God and following him. You can picture that with Abraham and Isaac. All his life, he had been wanting a son. God's made these promises to him concerning a son. 
How long had it been? 40, 50 years from the time God first made that promise to him that Isaac was finally born? And you can imagine Abraham thinking to himself, finally, I have a son. Who am I if I don't have Isaac? Who or what is your Isaac? Who or what is it that leads you to think, I'm nothing without that? My life is ended without that person or that thing. Who or what is the Isaac in your life? God's tests expose your Isaacs. God's tests expose the things that you are living for and seeking to draw life from rather than him. See, we, d- we devote ourselves to people and we devote ourselves to, you know, pursuit of, you know, great careers or, or any number of things. And, and there's a, a level in which we ought to be committed to these things, but we can only be devoted, wholehearted, giving over, fear of the Lord type of devotion to God because only God can sustain the soul in its desire. The Lord's tests are designed to expose the dreams that define you in order to deepen your devotion to him. But second, let's look at the journey. Look at verses four through eight with me. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went, so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both, so they went, both of them together. I find it interesting that it, it was a three days journey. Like, was there nowhere else near um, Beersheba where Abraham could have sacrificed Isaac to God? The Bible doesn't tell us. I mean, we, we, we're going to get a clue when we get to our next point about the significance of the mountain range of Moriah. However, there's nothing that Abraham may have known, at least as far as we can tell that made it necessary for him to make that three-day journey to get to that location in order to sacrifice his son. You can imagine how agonizing the journey must have been. In fact, I think the narrator's meant to, is, is trying to help us feel that sense of agony even as we read the verses 9 and 10 when they came to the place of which God had told him. You hear how the narrative just slows down. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. It's an, it's an agonizing thing to read. Put yourself there in your mind's eye and you can imagine how agonizing it must have been for Abraham. There at the culmination of a three days journey. A journey in which Abraham's faith was being tested. But had it really just been three days? I mean, hadn't it really been a lifetime of testing? 
a lifetime of promises made to Abraham that were yet to be fulfilled, a, a lifetime of, as he said to Abimelech, feeling as though there's just a generic God who's causing him to wander, forgetting that this is a personal God that has bound himself to him. Isn't this Abraham over the journey of a lifetime wondering, will I ever have a son? And feeling the sting and the pain of sinfully having a son with Hagar and then having to send Ishmael away. Hasn't it been a long journey, a lifelong journey to this point for Abraham? And isn't it the same for us? What is the point of the journey? I think the point of the journey is right there in the middle of the text when Abraham said to Isaac, the Lord himself will see to the lamb. Verse eight, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And then when God got on the mountain, when, God, when Abraham got on the mountain with Isaac and, and God did provide the ram, the sacrifice, what did Abraham name the mountain? The Lord will provide, or more literally, the Lord will see, or the Lord will see to it. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. One of the things that God is doing in you and in me over the course of our life journey is bringing us to the point where we can say by faith, the Lord will see to it. The Lord will see to it. I know enough of God and his character and my heart is devoted to him. I don't have the details, but I know enough of God and who he is to trust that he will see to it. That's why God doesn't just give us easy tests that only last a minute or two. And then we get through it. Because if that were the case, we'd look back on that couple minutes of difficulty and say, look what I did. God knows us. He knows what we would do. And so he graciously gives us, in a fallen world in which there would be suffering anyway, God who is sovereign and orders the life of his children in such a way that is always for their ultimate good, says, I'm going to enable you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to be with you as you journey through hardship so that you can come to the point where you can say, God, I know you will see to it. I don't know how but I know you, and so I know you will. See to it. How can we grow in our ability to trust that God will see to it? I think we can take a cue from the psalmists. The psalmists are always reflecting on how God has seen to it already. Right? Go read Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is a long psalm, and it's a historical psalm. There's a call to praise at the beginning, and then there's this long recounting of Israel's history. How is it that we can look forward with faith, trusting that the Lord will see to it? Well, it's by looking back and seeing all the ways in which God has, in fact, seen to it. For us personally, for family members that we may know that have gone before us, for the church of Jesus Christ throughout its many eras of persecution and hardship, <laughs> biblical history, the preservation of the church in its earliest days, biblical history, the preservation of the offspring of Abraham, of which we are counted by God's grace 
and God's grace alone. Praise God, Abraham passed the test. His hand was stayed. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. God was doing that in Abraham. Abraham was also the beneficiary of the work of God to work in him what we'll call a forward-looking faith. Now, you, you say, isn't faith always looking forward? Well, yeah, but you know how we tend to work when it comes to faith. It's faith for tomorrow. It's faith for the job interview that's coming. It's, it's faith for the, the illness. It's, it's faith for things that are more immediate, God had worked in Abraham a forward-looking faith, a faith that looked beyond Isaac, a faith that looked ultimately, we tell us in Hebrews chapter 11, I'm sorry, the author of Hebrews tells us in 11.10, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. See, God is not only through this lifetime of testing, enabling us to trust that God will see to it, He's enabling us to see by faith how God has already seen to it, not just in the past, but in the sure and certain hope that what is coming has been secured through the work of the missing lamb in this text, through the work of Jesus Christ. Now, I said at the beginning that, that God is the hero of every biblical story. It always points to him. That's true right here in the text. When you look, for instance, at the end of the passage in verses 17 and 18, take a look there with me. Verse 16, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. So again, this is the Lord who is talking, who is swearing by himself because there's no one greater by which he could swear. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring. Now that's offspring, plural, as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring, singular, shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Okay, what's happening here? Well, Paul tells us. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, that that singular offspring is in fact Jesus. Jesus is the king who will rule over all. Jesus is the king who will subdue all his and the enemies of his people. Jesus is the king who will crush the head of Satan. Jesus is the king who will ensure that that heavenly kingdom that he promised and that he came to proclaim will in fact arise and cover the earth even as the waters cover the sea. Ultimately, this oath to Abraham at the end of this passage is an oath that is fulfilled in Christ. But again, there is also the missing lamb. Where's the lamb? Abraham and Isaac both knew that it was a lamb that they were to be looking for, for the burnt offering. But it's not a lamb that's provided. It's a ram that's provided. So where's the lamb? We can get to the answer of that by asking another question. Why Mount Moriah? Why that three-day journey? 
Well, 2 Chronicles chapter 3 tells us that that mountain range of Moriah is associated with where the temple will be located. It's associated with where Jerusalem would be located. It's associated where the cross would be lifted and Christ would be crucified. You see, centuries later, another father offered his son, his only son, the son whom he loved. The theologian Ed Clowney said, when the ultimate beloved child cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father paid the price in his silence. Jesus is the missing lamb. The knife came down on him, not on Isaac and not on any one of us who because of our sin deserve it. The knife came down on Jesus. The sacrifice for sin has been paid. The salvation and its promise is secure for all whose hope is in Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we do pray that you would help us to hold fast to these truths. Lord, help us to hold fast to the promise. Lord, you call us to journey through this world as as sojourners. We face all manner of hardship and suffering. Lord, some of us have faced and, and will face it acutely. All of us, oh Lord, will face that day when we die. Lord, we thank you that you have delivered us forever from bondage, from slavery to the fear of death. And yet the sting of death, O God, does remain. We pray, O God, that you would help us to have our trust in you, to help us to look beyond our present trials, to receive by grace that forward-looking faith that you offer us, that we might, with Abraham, see that city with foundations, of which you, O God, are the builder and the architect, that we would see that the land that awaits us is this land, this earth, that you will renew and that we, by your grace, will inherit. And, oh God, would you help us to look with joy to that day when we will see your Son and worship him in all his glory. Until then, we pray that you would keep us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.